0: Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there is something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. back to our now spoiler section of helpless we have so much to talk about there's a lot that happens in this episode that becomes pretty important later in the season but before we do we just wanted to address something that kind of happened this past week um joss whedon the man whose name should not be named uh came out with a very gross interview which look at your own risk. Um we just want it to be very clear that this is a podcast about Buffy and not a podcast about Joss Whedon. We very much are firm believers in the separation of the two and we just want to let everyone here know that if you love Buffy and you hate Joss Whedon, you're in the right place and that <laughs> Joss Whedon may be a very awful person, but he created a beautiful piece of art and that It is okay to love it and appreciate it without him as a person being involved.
1: I think it's important to note that obviously it's
2: impossible to escape talking about Joss in the podcast simply because there's quotes that add background. His fingerprint is on the entire show. But I also want to reiterate that it's not just Joss who was a part of this show. Um, It was the actresses and actors who were involved. It was the writers. It was the directors. It was the cast, the crew. It was everyone lighting, all that stuff that we've been talking about. And so I really hope that we can continue to talk about those people as well, because yes, this was Joss's baby initially, but it became something so much more. And so, if you feel like the show is tainted for you and you can't watch it and stuff because of Joss, that is totally understandable. But I also want to say, if you still love Buffy through all this, I don't want people to feel guilty and feel like, oh, because Joss is such a horrible person, I can't like the show. It is totally okay to separate the creator from their their work. Um, and so I just want to reiterate that it is okay to still love Buffy, but it's also important to give credit where it's due and remember that there are so many other people that were involved in this as well. So that's all we wanted to say. Um, and you can again you can read Joss's interview anywhere if you want to, but I <laughs> I honestly walked away from that feeling very gross. So read at your own risk. All right. So on that note, we can only go up from here. We're going to talk about the spoilers for Helpless today. And we have returning from last week, our brother David and his cat. Is that Captain yeah, that's with Captain. you? Yeah, So if you hear meowing, sorry, that is Captain. I have a
3: three-legged cat named Captain Ahab that uh, wants to sit on my lap all the time. So if you hear him in the background, that's what he's doing. <laughs>
2: All right. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about, it's just like a small little thing, but we talked about how Buffy's hair is in braids and how that's kind of supposed to make her look more youthful. We talked about how you see it in um, nightmares. You see it in... This episode, you're going to see it again in Fear Itself, which is also a Halloween episode where Buffy dresses up as Little Red Riding Hood, which is really funny. I also love that Oz dresses up as God. That just cracks me up every time. Um, and then the next time that we see Buffy in braids is in Fool for Love, and that's the episode where Buffy gets stabbed um, or impaled by by the stake from that vampire. And I think that they were specifically wanting her in braids to make her seem a lot more helpless <laughs> um, and a lot more vulnerable and young. So I just love that they keep putting her in braids in specific scenarios where they want her just appear a little bit younger and more vulnerable.
0: Wait, she has braids in Full for Love? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, I don't have a lot of like very specific things that I point out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is feature foreshadowing in this episode. But I will say watching this episode, it almost made me sad because the way that Buffy and Giles' relationship is so moving in this episode is done beautifully. And there's multiple episodes throughout the show that just really show that. I mean, season four, season five, like, um, but it's like, There's so many beautiful moving scenes and then there's season seven and I I don't want to crap on the ending of the show because there's so much about the ending of the show that I love, but I will say it, it sucks that like, I feel like they, the writers and the actors really put their heart and soul into Buffy and, and Giles relationships in the beginning seasons. And then in like the last season, it just, you forget how close they're supposed to be. Because it's just, like, they seem so at odds with each other, and there's very little reconciliation. And I know there's, like, okay, there's a look, and, you know, there's supposed to be, like, a, a, a mutual respect that happens. But it's, like, no, like, I needed to to either hear an apology, or I, I needed to see something like this, where it was like, a big action. Because it's, like, even at the end of this episode, he doesn't apologize, but it's, like, the whole, like... Cleaning her wounds, standing up for her. Like, it, it, his actions show so much more. And so I'm okay with the show not having a verbal apology, but it's like we didn't really get action showing that Giles was sorry or that he was on Buffy's side like we had in the past. So I think episodes like this are very bittersweet to me because they're beautiful and I think we need them. I'm just mad that we didn't get more of them towards the end when we really needed it.
3: Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Giles kind of becomes a less important figure as the series gets older. You know, in the the fifth and sixth seasons, he's not quite as integral to everything. And I really think that that kind of is to the detriment of the show, especially with what Buffy's going on. Um, as her life gets harder, Giles is in it less. And I think that the writers kind of missed a beat when, if I don't know, if I was the writer, I would have leaned into more of their relationship rather than less of it.
2: Giles is very involved in season five he is involved for the first part of season 6. The thing that was very hard is, you know, inevitably Giles had to leave in season 6 because Tony had his daughters were growing up and they wanted him to spend time with them. And so he was he lived in England and so he was flying back and forth constantly and he was like I just want to be put as a season regular and then had to like be written out of the show, essentially, or like written out of the season. Um, but the way they did it is not well done. They decided to say, oh, Giles is like, Buffy, you need to stand on your own two feet, so I'm going to leave you and abandon you. At a time when she's suffering from depression, she is um, going to possibly lose her house, possibly lose custody of Dawn uh, Willow's going through addiction. There's just so much that's going on. um It feels very out of character and unrealistic for Giles to say "peace out." And you it know? also,
0: like, it all—it almost feels malicious when he leaves. It's not like a "hey, I love you" and I want you to stand on your own two feet. It's almost like, well, you don't need me, so yeah, you can figure it out on your own. It, it almost, it, at least for me, like it—it it feels like a parent when the kid isn't submitting under their authority, and so they're just like, okay. Figure it out on your own. But it's I never like- got that. I mean, you
2: have the whole, and once more with feeling, he's singing the song where he's talking about how, like, he has a father's love for Buffy and he feels like he's standing in the way of her. Yeah. The problem is that goes against everything we know about Giles in the sense he's never had that problem. He's never had a problem with Buffy being so independent and him standing in the way. So it's like if Tony had had to leave, there was a much better way of them doing it. They could have said, hey, he has to leave. He has like a really sick relative or his mother's dying or something like that. And we would have been like, okay, and he's going to be back. But I think they were trying to make that reveal at season six super big. Like we didn't think he was going to come back kind of thing. Um, But, yes, there was much better ways that they could have gone about
0: it, it. Well, you literally could have been, like, there's an issue with the Watchers Council and, like, Giles needs to be there urgently. Or you could have had Giles suffer a great injury and have yeah. him be rushed back to England or something yes. like that. Like, yeah, And then – because then him coming back would have been, like, he's alive. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's so many other things that they could have done. And it's, like, guys, really him choosing to just leave? That is so out of character. Yeah,
3: I almost would have rather them kill him off than him just, like, abandon yeah. Buffy when she really needed him.
0: No, I keep saying this.
1: I think he should have died either at the end of Season 6 or the end of Season 7 because I really feel like he could have had, like, a moment of, like, them bonding or, like, maybe, like, saving her life by, like, sacrificing his own. And then he could have been sent off in such a heroic way. It's like, I always think of, like, the quote in um The Dark Knight. It's like, you either like die a hero or you watch yourself become the villain. <laughs> the villain. <laughs> and I always think about that in television because sometimes this is the issue with long-running television shows is you either mm-hmm. just run out of material and it becomes kind of like stale or you're, the good people end up becoming kind of crappy because you don't know what to do with them so you end up throwing stuff at them. Like as much as Willow's Ark is fun in season six, you it sometimes gives me a bad taste in my mouth. In season seven, I'm like, I have too much of you. I need like less of you. Um, and, and then like just Giles just kind of slowly goes a little downhill after season five. I like his darkness yeah. in season five, especially like the whole like dilemma in the gift. I think is so interesting because he's all like, mm-hmm. let's kill Dawn because she's the issue here. Um, mm-hmm. and she's all like, if you go near her, I will kill you. And then Z- he ends up killing Ben, which is so interesting because it's like, I understand him killing Ben. Like he's literally tied to glory. Why don't you kill Ben? He's the human, you know? But that, that's that yeah. whole moral dilemma. But I just think like him in season seven is a bit of a rough one.
2: It's hard because I I feel like I'm gonna get flack from everybody for this. I don't necessarily hate the direction they took Giles in season seven. Giles is not the issue for me in season seven. And I'm thinking specifically of um, Lies My Parents Told Me because this episode, Giles Betrays Buffy and Lies My Parents Told Me is the second time in the series that Giles betrays Buffy when he and um, the uh, principal, what's the principal's name? Wood, Principal Wood. When he and Principal Wood conspire to kill Spike and Giles is tasked with keeping Buffy busy while they kill Spike. Giles should not have lied to Buffy. Giles should not have gotten to the point where he didn't trust Buffy enough to where he felt like he needed to go behind her back and use somebody else. But that's not my biggest beef with the episode because I feel like Giles is working very consistently. Giles has always been big picture guy. The fact that he is willing to kill Dawn in The Gift and Buffy's like, no, you're not going to touch her. And they actually clash and are at odds with it is a testament to Giles being like, no matter what it takes, I'm going to save the world. Like, I love you, but I have a I have a calling. I have sworn his – what did he say? I have sworn to protect this sorry earth, you know? And so I when I see Lies My Parents Told Me, I see Giles thinking again big picture. And somebody um, – I forget who it was, mentioned something that I really love. They said Giles and Buffy have the same goal in season seven. They both want to protect the earth. But the problem is, is they both have a different way of going about it and doing it. And so for Buffy, she is going, I need Spike. I can he, I can I can use him. He can be helpful. Problem with Giles is he's going, Okay, this person tried to assault you. This person is clouding your judgment, supposedly, and all this stuff. And the thing is, is that. I don't think Spike is clouding Buffy's judgment, but I'm – like my biggest beef with season seven is I feel like the writers – and we all know, I've, I've said this many times, my Spike is the weakest link of season seven. And so I get frustrated because I think that they put so much emphasis on Buffy, like shoehorning Spike into the story and having Buffy keep him around – to the point where they made Giles the bad guy, when in actuality, I'm over here going, no, 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 I kind of agree with Giles over here. And that's the only time in the entire seven seasons that I disagree with Buffy. And it makes me irritated that the show puts me in that position to where I have to actually disagree with one of these two characters that I absolutely love just to save Spike, who I feel like is pulling the story down in season seven. So when I see Giles. I, he didn't go about the right way, but him trying to kill Spike, I don't see it as a massive betrayal. Um, I'm actually kind of okay with it. I'm okay with it too, sir.
3: I like. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm <laughs> actually okay with with uh, Giles doing that. My frustration, kind of what you're saying, is like they handle the whole uh, Spike storyline in season seven so badly. Like him, him so going badly. and like deciding to get a soul and you know him trying to like make amends for his past behavior could have been such an interesting Mm storyline and they really don't do anything with it he's just kind of like moping in the corner of a school abandoned by himself for like six episodes like spike like get out and do something man like
2: (laughs) and then when he does it's not talked about distinction between pre-sold post like there's no there's no like um shift you know
1: I don't mind that he is big picture dude. I don't care about that. I don't care if he has a different opinion than Buffy. My biggest thing is the fact that he doesn't trust Buffy. Cause in the past, it was always like, Hey, if you disagree, I'm going to tell you I disagree, but ultimately I trust you as a person or whatever. I just think I just don't like to see mm. Giles as an insecure. I have to share the power what was me season seven Giles right makes yeah. absolutely no to sense to Giles when he was younger. Like even in the yeah. revelations episode, when he finds out about her and um angels hidden, like not even hidden relationship, they literally were just like, she was helping him through coming back from the dead. Like he tells her like, you have no respect for me, like, or yada, yada. But even still then it was still like, Hey, shape up. Like you have no respect for me. There was a mutual respect there at one point. Whereas like now it's like, I don't care that he wanted to kill Spike, yada, yada. But the fact that he was lying and didn't trust her and was like deceiving her in the moment, just that he could kill Spike is so dumb to me. That part is so frustrating.
2: I agree. And I think the writers were trying to, they did it very badly, but I think they were trying to be like, oh my gosh, they've never faced anything like this before.
1: This is so bad. Giles is that but, desperate. But you know what you know? what would have been better though is if they had a blow up fight and he was like, well, I'm going to go kill him whether or not you want me. And they had a yes, fight. Yes, and she beat absolutely. him up and was like, do not try this again. Yes. That would have been sick because so it would have like, been so uh-huh, impactful. Because he would have been like, I'm going to go kill him. I don't care what you're saying because I think this is big picture rather than him like, but to, like weaponizing the whole like mentorship, where he's like teaching her yeah. things and like being her yeah. watcher in the yeah. moment, and then she realizes what he's doing, and she's like betrayed. That is so dumb yeah. to me. They could have made it such an epic scene where they're like fist fighting. You know what I mean? And like they're like well, fighting. And fighting. it's a build-up off of like his whole Ben and Glory thing where he kills Ben. They could have had such a cool monologue of each other of her bringing up Ben and 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 Don
0: because the harper is. I love the fact that he killed Ben i love it i think it is so in his character i think it makes so much sense i think that that's not what pisses me off the, what pisses me off is not the fact that giles makes so many mistakes what pisses me off is that we don't have a reconciliation because i'm mm-hmm. fully okay with characters going through really rough stuff like willow like she murders someone but she like you see her kind of like work through it like she literally has to go to a pretty much like killer's rehab and, like, comes back and, like, has to, like, ease her way back in. Like, you see her carry the burden of her actions. My gripe is the fact that we don't really see Giles either bear the burdens of the those actions or have to make amends or apologies for the things that he's done Yeah, later in the seasons, Spe- specifically to Buffy, because so much of what he does affects her and affects their relationship. That's what makes me mad. I don't mind if you take your characters down dark paths. That's fine with me. But if you're going to try and redeem them, redeem them fully. Don't half-heartedly do it.
3: I guess it's more realistic with like, you know, a lot of times with parental figures or parents, when they hurt their kids, they may not even realize that they're hurting them. And so not always having a like definitive apology and just kind of moving on is actually pretty realistic when it comes to, like, um, you know, childhood and stuff like that. Not that parents shouldn't, but um, I guess it makes a more realistic, like, father-daughter relationship between her and Giles. If he just kind of brushes his stuff off under the rug.
2: And something we've talked about that I've had to learn when watching Buffy is Joss, <laughs> ironic, doesn't believe in apologies. He doesn't believe in... um coming out and saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Very rarely in the show do you actually see that happen except for Buffy. I mean, I'm sure there's other examples of it, but generally across the board, there is the way that the writers and Joss write an apology or people getting back together is like, we just watched amends. You it's know, you glance. have, yeah. you have, yeah, you have the that nod. comes in and says, well, I'm feeling the <laughs> Hanukkah spirit. You have a nod. Yeah. You have, mm-hmm. you have, hey, I'm going to help you with this. That is, and I'm having to learn that that is what the Buffyverse sees as we're cool now. We're okay I know, now. which is so like,
1: frustrating because, uh, yes. and I've I've said this so many times, and there's a reason why Buffy is always ranked as one of the greatest TV characters. And I've said this before, but it's because her compared to everyone else, she's doing the brunt of the work in every one of the relationships because no one else goes into her and apologizes. She's the one who has always carry all the weight, and it's easier to make somebody look good as a character, if they're the ones going through all the crap and coming out on the other side, a better person. And she's the only person who has the weight of everything. Willow goes through a lot of crap in season six, yes, but she also has years of being kind of crappy. And then as soon as that Mm. happens, season seven comes and all of a sudden she's like healing and everyone's like, oh, yay, and they forget all the stuff that happened with Willow. Whereas like, Everyone's always going down Buffy's butthole or going up her butthole about (laughs) everything for seven seasons because she constantly has stuff thrown at her. And so they have higher expectations for her. That's why she's seen as a really great character is because she's constantly going through everything and then choosing the better option except for season six.
0: (laughs) That and her friends suck. Like, here's the thing. I love Willow. I love – I don't love Sander. I love Willow. I Learn to tolerate Xander and can acknowledge some of his strengths. I love Oz. I love Angel. Like, they're all good characters. But, I, oh, and Anya. I love Anya and Cordelia. Like, if I miss a character, just know I love them as well. But, like, they're all good characters and I love and appreciate them all and all that. However, I will argue with anyone. Buffy's friends suck to her so many times. They they apologize and they move on sometimes and sometimes they get over it. Sometimes they get over it when there should have been an apology. So it's just like, which is definitely realistic because sometimes you have friendships where you sometimes you don't apologize and you just both move on. But I will say the gross amount of times that her friends have wronged her in comparison to when she has wronged them is so outnumbered like and it's just one of those things where it's like Buffy as a character looks so much better because her friends suck and that's mainly the writing because they just should have like given them apologies they should have given them better amends like but they don't Except for Angel. That's why everyone ships them, because Angel is the only one who actually treats her well.
3: Well, character arcs are super important. I mean, think about all totally. the the characters like Zuko. You know, change mm-hmm. is important to uh, to having a really rich character arc. And Buffy's really the only one that has to, um, I guess, like, confront the consequences of her actions. Like, everyone else does horrible things, mm-hmm. and it's like a one-off, you know? They're like, oh, ha ha That was crazy. And then next week, it's like, (laughs) you
0: know. Um, Willow literally flays man. Like, she comes back, and they're like, you know what? It's okay. Whereas, like, Buffy for seven seasons gets beat down and has to choose the right thing or else no one lets her forget it. And at the end of the end, they're like, you know what? You're just luckier than us, so we're going to kick you out of your house. (laughs) Uh, They're like, you know what, Buffy? I know that you, like, protect the world and save us all the time and, like, are definitely selfless, but, like... (sighs) The fact that, like, you would even consider not killing your boyfriend uh, because he, like, (laughs) might hurt someone is kind of like – it really hurts my feelings and I'm going to make the decision to kill him anyways.
3: Or Buffy takes a mental health break for a summer, and everyone gives her so much crap for it. They're literally like, how dare you leave us? Yeah. Jesus.
0: Where were you? She's like, guys, I died. Like,
2: please. <laughs> the audacity of Willow being all like, oh, I, I, say, I have a boyfriend now. What about me? I'm going through life changes.
1: The- I have a boyfriend, and I, I have some witchcraft now that I can move a pencil Wow, that's the same as killing your boyfriend uh, uh, to save the world. Yeah,
0: Buffy's like, that's sick. I'm glad you have a boyfriend. I had to stab mine <laughs> because of my friend who didn't tell me he had a soul. Like, worst friends ever. I love. A- I'm sorry, guys. I'm not trying to hate on your favorite characters, but like, I don't I'm, think Xander's Xander. Xander would have been my ex friend or...
3: if he didn't tell me the ben... angel had a soul.
0: Xander would have been literally in the grave if he didn't tell me <laughs> a Soul. He would have been first on my kill list. But then, you know, in season three, when
1: they're having like a secret affair and Buffy finds out about it, what does she say? She goes, you know, you're going to need to do some groveling if you want to get them back. That's it. Yep. Forgives them
0: immediately. Buffy is a better woman than me. I would have one of them been like, "You guys gave me so much crap, and the whole time you're sitting here cheating on both your significant others."
2: Anyway, okay, another character who is also crap. Speaking of, you know, crappy characters, um, Buffy's father, Hank. So this marks the beginning of Buffy's estrangement from her father. Eventually, Hank begins a relationship with his secretary, severs all ties with his former family until season six when. He appears to be in contact with Don on the phone, and then we just – we don't see him again. He's just a deadbeat father, and Giles has to step in and take his place.
3: He always was a deadbeat father, even if he did show up every once in a while.
2: So let's talk about the Watcher's Council, because – Finally, we can talk about the Watcher's Council. Which means Wesley is coming in soon. I know. And that's what (laughs) I'm going to say. This episode paves the way for one of the best Buffyverse characters, Wesley. David's never seen Angel. If you have never seen Angel, you have to watch it simply for Wesley's character development. Okay, so here's the thing. We crap on Spike's arc a lot. We crap on Willow's arc somewhat too. I don't think that they're awful, but I think that there's – kind of a not smooth transition from villain to anti-hero to whatever. Wesley's character arc is one of the most organic and best character arcs I've ever seen, not just in the Buffyverse, but in general, because his motivations are consistent, even as his behavior and his, um, his outwardness just seems to change. You can always point it back to the exact same motivations. They're just they look different. Um, and I think that's what makes him such – that is what it means to have a good character arc. Just because a character changes drastically doesn't mean it's a good character arc. And I think people confuse that all the time.
0: I think – and completely agreeing with Sarah saying, I think the reason why character arcs like certain people that we don't like in the show fall flat is because we see good character arcs. We see that they can do good ones with Wesley with Buffy with like so it's like it's frustrating when you see character arcs like Giles where you're like the seventh season six season it kind of falls a little flat because you're like no 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 I know you can do better but honest to god I never thought that someone would steal the scream when Angel was on it but like Wesley is just such a captivating character and you don't expect that from him you don't get to know him at all on Buffy like it's just crazy like it makes it, it like I won't be doing an Angel podcast, but he makes me want to even consider it. And so the fact that I would even consider it for him says a lot. But also a little plug for the show
1: Angel. Like not only is Wesley's arc just phenomenal, like the best part about the Angel show is that there are some really great gems of characters in it. Even when there aren't as tight of episodes, there are some really, really great episodes. You get a huge storyline redemptive arc of Darla, which was like the – in the first season of Buffy and you're like, who the heck is this girl? So, so good. And then you get like characters like Lauren, which is so fun. And I love Lindsay. He's a good, like, um, tug and pull evil, sometimes good character.
2: All right. So the watchers council, um, this episode is another reason why chosen the season or the series finale. And even the deeper dive into the Slayer lore in season seven is so important for as Not well-written as it is, I appreciate that they decided to make Season 7 so Slayer-focused because I think that it was needed. Um, When Buffy learns that the prehistoric men that eventually make up the Watcher's Council forced a girl to become the first Slayer, it leads her to change history in Season 7. That's ultimately kind of the catalyst for her to be like, hey, wait a minute. We need to share the power. Um, And I think that this is kind of one of the first... I won't say the first, but it's another stepping stone in that direction, watching helpless and seeing that, like we talked about it in the spoiler free section, it's about power. They don't care if she lives or dies because they can have another weapon at their disposal. Um, But Buffy literally changes history by giving girls a chance to fight back against their oppressors. And the stupid part is their oppressors are mainly the Watchers, not the demons. Like, they're actually the bad guys just as much as all the the evilness out there.
0: Well, and I think it's crazy because watching an episode like this really gets me excited for the episode where Buffy pretty much fires the Watchers Council. And I Mm -hmm. think it's so interesting that they create that dynamic because the whole idea was that the Watchers Council... Had power because they used teenage girls and they pretty mm-hmm. much like used and abused them, like for lack of a better word. Like they discarded them, had them killed when they didn't need them anymore. And I love the fact that Buffy is the one who literally rips the power from them and is like, mm-hmm. no, I quit. Like, what are you going to do without me? Like, mm-hmm. you are nothing. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, oh, and I love that. In this episode, you see Buffy, you see the wheels start to turn when she's talking to the guy from the Watcher's Council, and she's kind of, like, she's not guarding herself. She's very much, like, she threatens him, tells him, like, she's like, bite me, like, leave. Like, and it's, like, you can see the fact that she's starting to realize, like, oh, like, you're scared of me. Like, and yeah. I love how you see that grow until finally she quits. Like, that is one of my favorite parts in the show is when she just tells him, she's like, no, like, who are you? Yeah. And then that the fulfillment of
2: that is checkpoint in season five when they come back and they're like, hey, 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 we have information about who Glory is. And so Buffy's like jumping through all these hoops until she realizes, wait a minute, everyone's coming to me because I'm the one with the power. I'm going to be the one that calls the shots. And she says, fine, you can be reinstated as the watchers. you That means you have to give Giles full pay. She should have said, you should have given me full pay too. Um, and it's going to be retroactive since the day, the month that you fired him. And on top of that, like, you're going to tell me the information that you have. And the watchers cancels, like, okay, we're going to
1: do that.
3: How does the slayer um, not get paid? Like, come on. I was seriously. about to say,
1: you literally just like, like maybe realize she should have asked them for a salary in that moment what the heck why didn't they put that in
2: yeah, there she should have said and you're gonna pay me as well because i'm yeah, the one doing the, the, the actual, actual work or or she should have been like giles can have half pay and i get the other half or whatever you're like, telling
0: like, me that we could have avoided a freaking meat palace episode <laughs> 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 oh, dude. oh one my god i hate it she could have had an actual
2: career oh buddy. yeah right I mean, there's already an organization out there who employs Slayer, like could have literally employed. No, nah, I never thought about paid. that. That's so shady. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yep. This is you know systemic misogyny at its finest. Buffy doesn't even think to ask for herself. Giles, who loves her so much, doesn't even think to to stick up for Buffy and say, no, you should pay her as well. Buffy's over here talking about power, but she doesn't even realize how much power she actually does have. And so, I don't know. It's interesting. Again, we're watching this in a 21st century lens. It's really interesting to go, huh, she should have gotten paid too. But I guarantee that wasn't even a thought in the writer's mind. But
3: she literally has like financial problems in the later seasons. Oh, I know. That's like a huge storyline.
2: Yeah, and Anya's over there like, hey, what if you start charging people every time you save them? And everyone looks at Anya like she's crazy when they're literally doing that over on Angel. Like Angel Investigations. Yeah. If I
3: were her, every time I went into like a vampire den, I'd be scurrying around looking for like hidden treasures and stuff yeah
0: <laughs> she's like yeah. playing D. it's so not uh, a yeah it's not uh stealing if someone already stole it yeah
3: You're like come on master i know you have some like some burnt cross somewhere that's worth thousands of dollars
2: <laughs> right just yeah, robbing exactly. them <laughs> it's like been around for hundreds of years hundreds of centuries and stuff yeah all right so a couple other things um i love this little tidbit i thought this was really fun so the, the scene where they have the song Kralik's House written by Christoph Beck, it's the whole thing of like him chasing her around. It's that whole long scene. The fantastic music. They actually reuse that music, and it's used again in Graduation Day Part 1. It's the moment... When the mayor is wiping the sword that Giles just shoved through his chest and they play the exact same, like the strings that go ee! from like Krog's house. I don't know if you guys remember that scene where Giles grabs the, the sword just as the mayor says, I'm going to eat her. And Giles just grabs the sword knowing the mayor is immortal and just stabs him through the heart. And then the mayor yanks it out and just cleans it. Ugh so good. But they play that exact same music there. And then there's another episode that they also play it in. It's Fear Itself. And that's the season four Halloween episode where she's dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. So love the little parallels there. Um, This episode also actually parallels I Will Remember You. Um, in that Angel becomes human for a day and still chooses to have his powers back and become a vampire. And it's a similar situation for Buffy in this episode when she becomes human for a day and decides, no, I, I, I've i already seen the monsters that's underneath my bed in the closet, like around in the dark alleys. Like there's no way that I can possibly be human. Obviously there's major differences with the episodes, but I think it's interesting that they have an episode where both Buffy and Angel turn normal turn human and have to make that decision of do i go back do i not
3: that would be such a horrible decision for angel to make like oh i'm gonna go back to like constant suffering and not being able to be happy and things like that
2: (laughs) have you seen that episode david no let's not talk about that episode because i will (laughs) no we won't talk about it it's fine it's all good all right and then the last thing i wanted to talk about is the gift that angel gives buffy the book of sonnets that we talked about in the spoiler-free section. So, not only is this gift romantic and sweet and stuff, but it's actually canonical that Buffy loves poems and takes classes that are specifically studying women's accomplishments and also studying how women like have affected poetry and just poems in general. Um, this is something we see begin to happen after this gift, although. Like, her dating Owen, who loves Emily Dickinson, I think is kind of hilarious. Um, In season five, Tough Love, Buffy has to pull out of a college course because Joyce's aneurysm and then finding out that Dawn is the key. And the class that they have her pull out of, the only one we see her pulling out of is a poetry class and she has this really sweet dialogue with the guy where she talks about how she wishes she had more time to read poems and talks about how it would be really cool to like be able to be a college student and have class and he's really kind to her and says you know maybe one day and stuff and it's a cool little callback to this episode where she's given a chance to be normal but doesn't take it and I think there's a parallel there of her going like poetry in this instance is kind of a symbolism for, and poetry, and we talked about Angel even is like a symbolism for normal life. Buffy is once again choosing to give up a normal life to do her duty to be a Slayer, and it's an it's it's a callback to the fact that she's constantly having to give up those things in her life. And I don't, I thought that was kind of cool. So, as we watch the series, like, be on the lookout for any time they do mention poems and poetry and all the other stuff, because it is kind of supposed to be like a little bit of a nod to Buffy, like showing what Buffy has to give up. So that's everything. That is the rest of our spoilers for Helpless. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys have any other tidbits or spoilers that you would like to talk about, definitely let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining us again, David. Hopefully you'll come back for another episode. We have several more great ones coming up in season three.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'll be back probably sooner rather than later.
2: Yes. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. And we will talk to you next.